Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, February 13th, 2022, is entitled, Of Mountains and Mole Hills. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Friends, our scripture reading today comes from the New Testament. We continue reading in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6 this time, verses 17 through 26. Let's listen together for a living word from God for us in these words from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6. Jesus came down with his twelve disciples and stood on a level place, with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then Jesus looked up at all his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Friends, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen, receive and respond. Amen. So after several weeks of introductory stories, we arrive today at the heart of the gospel according to Luke's understanding of Jesus's message, the meat and potatoes of Luke's gospel, as it were. We arrive at the Beatitudes. You know a scripture passage is important, or thought to be important, or at least that it's been handled a lot as it's been handed down when it comes with its own title, the Beatitudes. 
the Beatitudes, this series of pronouncements by which Jesus announces peculiar blessings on particular groups of people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Except, if you were listening closely, you'll recognize that those aren't the words of our scripture reading today. Close, but no cigar. Those particular words that I just read come from the gospel according to Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. From what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, another well-worn title. But the version before us today comes from the gospel according to Luke. From the less often so-called Sermon on the Plain. But, you know, they're, they're basically the same, yes? No, they're not. None of the four gospel accounts are the same. They follow different timelines. They feature different characters. They tell different stories, and they tell the same stories different ways because they have different points of view and different purposes. So many Christian scholars over the centuries have struggled, labored to bring and blend the four gospel accounts into one real version of what really happened, to harmonize them. That's the word that's used for that exercise in academic circles, harmonizing, which of course misses the point entirely. Because just as in music, harmony requires difference not sameness. Different notes, different voices, and is about much more about the tensions between them than the similarities. Otherwise, it's just unison. Otherwise, it's monotone. I get that the multifocal approach of the Gospels can be confusing. Trust me, as a preacher who has to go over these stories again and again, I get that it can be confusing. But I also believe it's what makes it a richer exercise, deeper and more lively, and in fact, more thoroughly human. I believe that difference in the Gospels is a feature, not a bug. When we try to force the stories together, we do violence to the various traditions and communities from which those different versions come, lopping off bits here and pieces there in order to make them fit into a single form for which they were not made. It's like Cinderella's stepsisters slicing off their heels and toes to force their feet into someone else's glass slipper. Or was that element of the fairy tale excised from the version you learned growing up? It's important that we pay attention to the differences and not simply gloss over them. That we listen for what each authoring community has to tell us about their particular experience of God, Jesus, and our human condition. So yes, 
working with much the same, if not exactly the same material, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel tell two different stories of the Beatitudes with different understandings, goals, and perhaps outcomes for us as readers. And as in so much of life, those differences begin with location, location, location. Matthew's Jesus delivers his sermon on the mountain. Luke's Jesus delivers his service, his sermon on the plain or in the valley. The original word means either. But either way, it is a level place, not an elevated one. Reverend Dr. Thomas E. Frank, a Methodist pastor and theologian, crystallizes the difference between these perspectives this way. He says, no juxtaposition in the Gospels could make any clearer what a difference one's perspective makes. If I am looking up at Jesus above me, like Moses on the mountaintop between earth and heaven, the Beatitudes appear as a higher law a covenant made with a community to which I aspire to belong. In Matthew, the the blessed are poor in spirit. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Beatitudes are presented as a framework of disciplined living through which I can grow in right relationship with God and my neighbor. If, by contrast... I am looking at Jesus on my level. With Jesus looking up at me because he has knelt down to touch someone sick or lame, the Beatitudes appear to be immediate, every day, inseparable from the joys and sufferings of life. In Luke, the blessed are just plain poor and hungry folk. I cannot look past them to see something loftier. Jesus is blocking my view. In my own words, Luke's Jesus comes down from the mountain in order to be grounded among the ground down. Those considered less than, even the very least of these, whose lives and troubles may seem like mere molehills from the perspective of the mighty, but nevertheless loom large, large and painful from their own perspective. And Jesus tells us, from God's. Because once again, reading carefully through Luke's story of Jesus, I am reminded of the words preached, sung, by Jesus' mother, Mary. Back in the opening chapter of the gospel, the Lord has shown real power by scattering those who are proud, dragging strong rulers from their thrones and putting humble people in places of power. God gives the hungry good things to eat and sends the rich away with nothing. And of course, Mary's song is itself an all-too-real-world reframing of the vision of the prophet Isaiah, repeated also by John the Baptizer, Jesus' mentor, back in chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel. You can feel the echoes gathering. 
that when the fullness of God's intentions, God's reign, really takes root in the world, every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. That is, God's will and God's word will reorder the whole broken world according to God's ways of justice, peace, and compassion. And our broken relationships with God and our neighbors along with it. According to Luke, Jesus' gospel doesn't just come from a level place, it is a great leveler. A blessing for those in the world that the world does not believe are blessed, whose differences or challenges or sufferings make it clear in the eyes of the world at least that they are not and even can or should not be blessed. The poor, the hungry, the grieving, the excluded, the oppressed. But how, Jesus... How can being poor, being hungry, being grief-stricken or excluded or oppressed, how can that possibly be a blessing? Are we supposed to suffer? Does that make us saintly somehow? Is that God's plan? Is that why there are all these woes here in the text too? Warnings to the rich and satisfied and happy? Should we all be going for the gold in some sort of divinely ordained suffering Olympics in order to win God's favor, to be the best we can be, the blessed we can be? Again, no. Just no. Scripture is not just a set of if-then stereo instructions for salvation. Particularly, perhaps, this passage, despite its long history of being treated as just that. The Reverend Nadia Bowles Weber, a Lutheran minister, founding pastor of House for All Sinners and Saints Church in Denver, and the first ever national pastor for public witness for the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, asks the tough, if not then what, question about this passage. What if the Beatitudes aren't about a list of conditions we should try and meet to be blessed? What if these are not virtues we should aspire to? But what if Jesus saying, blessed are the meek, is not instructive? What if it's performative? meaning the pronouncement of blessing is actually what confers the blessing itself. Maybe the sermon is all about Jesus' seemingly lavish blessing of the world around him, especially that which society doesn't seem to have much time for. People in pain, the poor, the hungry, the outsiders, the outcasts, the lost who have lost so much and from which even more is demanded and taken away. Maybe Jesus is actually just blessing people, especially the people who never seem to receive blessings otherwise. My words now.
Maybe Jesus sees through the lie of all our public protestations that all lives matter, an aspirational statement at best, and not our lived reality for so many, many folks. What if Jesus sees through that and decides to let the blessings fall where they're needed most? Not up in the rarefied mountain air, but down in all the valleys of the shadows of death and despair. What if in his blessing, Jesus is saying, poor lives matter. Hungry lives matter. Marginalized lives matter. Grieving lives matter. Black lives matter. Women's lives matters. Trans lives matters. Disabled lives matters. Lives living with mental illness matter. Lives with addiction matter. Hard lives matter. Messy lives matter. Unsuccessful lives matter. To all of these folks, Jesus says, I see you. And I believe with all my heart that God sees you. God sees and knows and loves you, not in spite of, but because of. God is with you. And that is the blessing. Knowing you are not forgotten, but remembered, valued, connected, named, called, blessed. That is the real blessing and the base of every possible other, the only and solid foundation. But watch out and woe to you. Anyone whose lives are built on the shifting sands of the temporary blessings of wealth or status or satisfaction or success or even happiness, even just good health. Anything that might keep us from seeing our own original and immutable blessedness in the eyes of God, which has nothing to do with all of these things. Woe to you. Woe to us. Again, not as a punishment, but as simply pointing out the fact that all of these temporary blessings can tend to puff us up, artificially elevate us in our own estimation, and keep us looking down on the less fortunate with pity at best for what they do not have and are not in the eyes of the world. But Luke's Jesus isn't up there. He's down here. In fact, Luke's make sure, Luke makes sure we know that however far down we look, Jesus is even lower. Jesus goes even further. Note that in our reading from Luke's account today, so far from being lifted up, Jesus actually has to look up to teach his disciples, to teach us. Because the Christ of God's blessing in Luke dwells not up on the mountaintop, but down there among the everyday molehills of the least and least likely. Or at least he does until the high and mighty lift him up at last on the cross. 
in the meantime, if we want to find Jesus, if we want to locate the heart of God beating in time with the heart of humanity, pumping out blessings like lifeblood, like a deep well of water in a dry and dusty land, we know where to look. Come down from your mountains, friends. Seek the level place. Seek the leveling power of God's love. And seek the blessed company of your neighbors who dwell there. And so, beloved, if you've heard the word of God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.